Hi, I'm Frank Daly, and this is That Sounds Interesting podcast. Today, my guest is Alex Krukshank, who is a writer based in Berlin and has an eclectic range of interests. So welcome, Alex. I'm delighted to have you on my podcast here today. Thank you, Frank. Nice to be here. Alex, let's kick off with uh, when you moved to New Zealand, because I know you moved around a few places, but let's start with that. Well, I grew up in the UK uh, and lived there for most of my life, although I was actually um, actually born in Germany, but didn't stay there for very long. Um, and in roughly 2006, 2007, um, I was working for the British government in, in London doing some uh, contract IT work, and I thought, um, uh, I'm not really enjoying this hugely. Um, soon after that, my first daughter was born in 2007. And uh, as you know yourself, having children does change your perspective to an extent. You start to think about um, what you're going to do with your life and start looking further forward than you otherwise might. Um, and I thought I didn't really want my daughter to grow up where we were in uh, the south of England. I wanted her to have the kind of freedom that I had. And I suspect you also had Frank growing up um, when we did, you know, obviously we're not exactly the same age, but let's say, let's say the 70s um, in, in the UK or Ireland, where we, you know, jumpers for goalposts, spending all your time outside, coming home at six o'clock in the evening, that kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Mm. I have great, great memories growing up of that type of freedom. Yeah, so, so that wasn't really available in the southeast of England in 2008 onwards. Um, so uh, I thought, well, perhaps we could go somewhere else. Perhaps we could go somewhere where my, my kids could have that kind of freedom to, to develop, to, to effectively be free-range children. Um, so as is often the case with me, I, I, I thought this through fairly deeply, but I made it, made it rather flippant. So I was, at, um, I was at work one day and I just texted my wife and said, I'm bored, do you want to move to New Zealand? Um, wow. That's literally what I wrote. Now, I, I, as I said, I, I had thought about it a lot. I tend to be quite flippant about things that I thought fairly deeply about. And um, she said, okay, maybe. Um, now, as it turned out, um, she's Polish. And uh, when she was growing up in Poland, she'd seen a documentary about New Zealand and thought it looked beautiful. So neither of us had ever been there. Neither of us had traveled to New Zealand. And we thought, well, let's give it a try. So it took about... Um, I think it took about a year to get all the paperwork sorted out and it's actually quite difficult. You can't just move to New Zealand. You have to um, get the re required number of entry points uh, and have a full medical chest x-rays, the whole lot. Um, but we got all that done and uh, finally moved there in, in August 2008. When you arrived there, Alex, um, uh, had you got something to work on or did you know any, had you any plan of what you were going to do when you were in there? Sort of. Uh, my wife um, had got a job remotely. Uh, so while we were still living in the UK, she'd had um, video conferencing interviews and had, had got a job with um, a government department there. I was still running my website, uh, my reviews website, computer reviews website at that point. So it, I was basically working from home and doing the same kind of thing that I had been doing um, when we were living in the UK, but just uh, you know, the other side of the planet. So I, I just needed an internet connection. So that wasn't a big deal. So you're so you're you are very well set up, both of you. Uh, um, in two thousand eight, that was surprising. To be honest, even the video conferencing was surprising. I mean, the, the, it was over Skype, and um, you know, the the interviews that my wife had, uh, they were very very low quality. They were poor quality connections. There was always a massive delay. So even though I know people complain about um, see the, the video conferencing issues now, but it's uh, even just that well, thirteen years ago, it was much more. Um, 
primitive. But um, but yeah, it was uh, the internet connection was okay. We moved to Wellington. Um, again, we'd never been there. We just, actually my wife plucked it out as being a nice place to start. Um, and then landed and uh, basically started planning after we'd got off the plane, effectively. Um, that's not the right way to do it, but it keeps things exciting. Of course, of course indeed. And you did mention at one stage that you moved to like a small farm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We spent um, we spent the first year in Wellington basically getting to grips with the country, understanding how it works, um, making friends, socialising. And then um, I'm not even sure of the motivation for it. I think we were visiting a friend out um, in one of the... It's a, an area about an hour from Wellington. Well, for reference, Wellington is a capital, capital city of New Zealand. It's the pretty much at the bottom of the North Island, um, which is a more populated island. Um, and if you go north from there for about an hour, you go over a, a, a range of hills called the Rimatakas, and you end up in an area called the Wairarapa, which has some small towns and villages in it. Um, and people at that time had just started to commute from that region into Wellington. It wasn't a very common thing to do um, because people hadn't been entirely priced out of Wellington. But we visited some friends there, thought it seemed very nice and um, peaceful and quiet. And again, with a view to um, kids growing up uh, in, a, in a free range environment, we thought, well, maybe maybe we could move here and my wife could commute in or give up the job temporarily and do something else. Um, and. Uh, we looked at two places to buy. There wasn't a great deal available. Um, one of them had about an acre of land, um, but the person selling it said they would only sell it to us if we didn't have a survey done, which, um, first of all, it's a legal requirement in New Zealand to have a survey done. And secondly, obviously that raises all sorts of alarm bells. You know, that there's probably some construction that hadn't been done properly or bodies buried under the patio. So, um, so we went for the other one instead. Um, which uh, was yeah, nice enough, but it, it came with 10 acres of land. Um, and we just thought, ah, 10 acres, yeah, we'll just leave it. Yeah, it'll be fine. Um, just a big garden, really. Uh, and then discovered very quickly that you can't do that um, because uh, it, it gets out of hand very quickly. And in summer in New Zealand, if you let everything grow, it becomes a fire hazard. And uh, so, so we became accidental farmers, basically. That's great, actually. And actually, it's, in some ways, I like your attitude towards life in terms of saying, well, I'll get a rough plan, but mostly I'll just go with the flow. That seems to work out well. It seems like I think a great even idea. that's generous. It's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Um, I suppose it, it looks a little bit like I'm I'm challenging myself, but to an extent, I think there's there's a little bit of deluded arrogance that I'm jumping in and going, oh, of course I can do this. It should be fine." <laughs> and I find out at a later date that oh, there are all sorts of things I really should have done before I started this. Yes, but, but there is a potential there with that attitude of discovering or falling into something that you, if you pla over-planned it, you would have never considered. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's a really useful, uh, and, and be open to that uh, uh, sort of change. Hmm. Uh, and obviously that led you on to getting some animals on the farm and tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. When we, when we first got the farm, there was someone who was... Um, who had had an arrangement with the previous owners to to graze her horses and um, I think one cow, so we let her stay on for a while because she was helping to manage the place. But um, but then she moved on to a place further away from um, from the, the town we were in, and we thought, well, okay, let's give it a try ourselves. Um, now I can't remember in which order we did it, but at some point we did end up with sheep 
cows and chickens and we were we were farming all of them now um, i have to give my wife credit for handling the sheep because um mostly they need to be shorn twice a year uh and i think at the time i i was i either made myself unavailable or i was doing actually working on things that I couldn't um, help her with, but we had a guy come around and she was helping him doing the shearing each time, which is pretty hard work. Um, but uh, but yeah, we, we, we managed cows from um, from calf to fully grown. Um, we've we've bottle fed lambs. Um, uh, I, I did find the chickens to be, in some respects, the most annoying, the most irritating animals to handle because um, they're really quite good at getting out of whatever fenced environment you put them in. Um, then they, they peck around and they, they destroy any garden area that they find. They they crap everywhere. Um, I think a couple of them decided that they were going to attack Nina. I mean, not, not actually attack, but they you know, made menacing strides towards her. And uh, I think for a long time she was quite scared of chickens. Um, okay, well, they, they, were making, they were making a great escape, actually, possibly. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> Just need little motorbikes, um, but yeah. But but later, when we did finally get rid of them, eventually we, we found a massive clutch of eggs in in the forest that had obviously all gone off, but um, but they, they'd escaped. And because we wondered why they weren't laying for a long time, and they were laying, just not where we expected them to lay. So yeah, that that was that was not much fun. I mean, I've it, it's it's an experience I'm glad I had, but I wouldn't repeat it. I mean, I've, I've we, we had a, a bull that escaped from our land and got into the the neighbor's land, and and he. Was a dairy farmer, so he had lots of um, female cows. And if our bull had uh, impregnated those cows, that would have been incredibly bad and expensive, because um, normally you have a, a bull come in specially for for that purpose. Um, so we had to. He and I had to chase the bull down. Um, and at one point, he was a he was a, a Welsh accountant who had moved to New Zealand 20 years previously to become a dairy farmer for some reason. And I watched him as he chased this cow, this bull down on the quad bike. Um, circled it, um, made it stop, and then punched it in the face to stop it <laughs> running wow. away. And I, I, I've never seen anything like it. And, and it stopped because it was utterly shocked at what this small person was doing. He said, hey, you've got to show them who's boss. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so farming's a very, um, it was an odd, an odd experience. It's, it's, not, it's not something I want to do again, but it was fascinating to, to go through it. And so, uh, obviously, never a dull moment, uh, Alex. Yeah, especially, <laughs> especially since you were learning, you had never farmed yes. before. Yes. I'm amazed to even take on. I would have never tried that without any background in farming. We had a lot of farming friends there because our kids went to a school where a lot of the farmers went to. And when I would tell them what we were doing, they would just roll their eyes. It's like they'd be, oh, these pathetic city people who have come in and taken over a lifestyle block and are trying to farm. So, oh, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> so complete schoolboy errors every time but um but yeah, we, we we managed it um and we our casualty rate wasn't too high compared to real farmers so that's yeah. that was great uh, a great a great experience just mm. moving forward a little bit to around 2016 or, or around that sort 2017 mm. around that time when you decided to move from new zealand pack up the whole family and move to berlin tell me a little bit about the planning that you had to do if any Oh, again, you're, you're using that word like I like <laughs> it's something I do, but actually, I, again, I'm being a little bit flippant about it. Um, there are there are times in my life where I've got bored with the situation that I've been in, and as a friend used to say, you've thrown all your toys out of the pram and you're starting again. But this actually wasn't one of them. Um, in this case, uh, as I said, when we moved to New Zealand, we didn't know a great deal about it. Um, obviously, living there, we learned quite a lot more, um, and some of the things that you learn in a place 
are really not apparent until you live there. Obviously, you, you, they're things that don't find their way outside the country. They're not broadcast on news or anything like that. And one thing that we found is um, over a period of time, we discovered that New Zealand has a very high rate of teenage suicide um, and severe depression. Uh, I think it's either the, the possibly the second highest rate of teenage suicide in the developed world, I think, or at least it was around that time. Um, no one spoke about this. There was a, a, a general policy by government and by media to not talk about it because the idea was that if you don't talk about teenage suicide, then others aren't encouraged to do it. Now, to me, that's massively misguided. Obviously, if you if you keep something a secret, then anyone who is going through problems um, continues to, to go through those problems without the belief that they can be helped. Um, but this, this actually affected us personally. Um, a friend of mine, uh, his uh, brother-in-law lost a, a 16-year-old son. Um, the son took his dad's shotgun out one day and turned it on himself, went to, went to the funeral for that. And at that point, my eldest daughter was, I think, nine. And I thought that, that there are too many of these stories. You know, I, I have teacher friends there who um, all of them have lost one or maybe two children out of the year group. Um, uh, that, that was in, in Wellington more than in uh, the region we were in, but actually statistically the region we were in had the highest rate per capita of New Zealand. So we were living in this small region with pretty much the highest rate of teenage suicide in most of the developed world. And I thought, I sort of understand where it comes from um, and without uh, wishing to be negative about New Zealand, I think for some people it's not a very stimulating place. For others it is. Um, but for, for, for me it wasn't, I think for certainly my oldest daughter it wasn't either. So we thought, well, um, we could move out of this particular region to one like Wellington or maybe Auckland, which would have been busier, um, had a lot more going on and perhaps would have been uh, less of a risk area. But if we're going to do that, then there's nothing really stopping us moving further. Now, if, if you move nine hours away from your friends um, in a, to a different city, then you could just as easily move, you know, 20 hours away to a different place by plane because the chances are you're going to see them about as often as you would anyway. Um, so, uh, as I say my wife's from Poland. She didn't want to move back to Poland. Um, I'm from the UK. I didn't really want to go back to the UK. I, I have nothing against um, England or the UK. It's just I felt that I'd done that. Um, didn't really want to go back at this point. So we thought, where can we go where we're close to both families, you know, Poland, the UK. Um, and uh, I'd once been to Berlin on a stag night, so I thought that'll do. Um, again, the, 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 <laughs> the lack of planning and the flippancy is apparent. Um, but we've, we, did, we did do it a little bit more strategically this time. So we came, we came to Berlin for, I think, might have been three or four weeks in 2016. Um, we spent a week there previously in 2015, um, got an idea of what it would be like, came up with some ideas of what we would do if we came here, and, uh, and finally moved here in 2017. And I met you the first time actually in 2017 when you were here and I was over here for a couple of months, maybe four or five months at a time. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd say it was a complete shock though, arriving in a much more structured environment as Germany is. And okay, I know Berlin isn't necessarily as structured as the rest of Germany, but it was still a completely, completely different than New Zealand. And there were rules, there was language to learn, there was bureaucracy to deal with. So how did you deal with those? Um, actually, I, I would say it was uh, almost traumatic. Um, we obviously, I, I have a, a British passport, um, and so we, and my wife has a Polish passport. And we thought, okay, this should be reasonably easy to at least get into the system when we come back. And then we found out that because we'd been outside of the EU for 
I think it's more than 24 months in the preceding five years, we were not in the system. We were uh, could not get into the healthcare system, um, which is a big issue in Germany. If you're outside the healthcare system, it can be a big problem. Um, so we had what's effectively emergency health insurance cover, and if anything had gone dramatically wrong, we could potentially have been airlifted back to New Zealand um, because that, that was considered to be our base. Um, so uh, this was compounded by the problem that um, my wife wasn't working and I was self-employed. So again, Germany doesn't really like self-employed people. I, I mean, the, the, the system is not really set up for self-employed people, let's put it that way. We also had issues with the girls' schooling. Um, the first couple of schools were really not great. They had a lot of um, issues to the extent that one had security guards at the gate to prevent um, conflict between parents picking their kids up. Um, uh, and uh, I think it was the th other third thing was, of course, accommodation, which it's now worse in this city, but even in 2017, it was a difficult thing to do to try to find somewhere. Um, so it was tough. It was very tough, actually. There were times when we thought, let's just give up. And of course, even though a lot of people in Berlin speak English, in order to get on with your life, really learning German was probably a goal for all of your family, yourself included, I guess, as well. But the thing is, um, that itself is a big challenge, apart from all the other issues you were dealing with. Yeah, and actually, I, th I think you've touched on my, um, my biggest disappointment in myself that I still haven't. Um, it's, I, I used to think I was reasonably good at learning languages. I mean, my... my French is reasonably good, um, but I have struggled to learn decent German. I mean, I haven't put in as much of an effort as I as I should do. Um, but even so, it seems to be a language that doesn't stick in my head very well, and I know I'm not unique in this. Um, but fortunately, both of the girls went to a German school, and although it was very, very tough for them for, I would say, the first three to six months, because there was a lot that they didn't understand, um, and there were a few tears, understandably. Um, after that, they picked things up pretty quickly, and now I would say that I mean, they're at least highly competent and probably fluent. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm the laggard really in the family. I, I haven't done as much as I should do, but um, but at least they're okay. Because they're younger, their brains are, of course, younger as well. So learning a new language is easier when you're younger. Yeah. Than this one. That's the excuse I use because I <laughs> <laughs> I think there was actually a study about this some time ago because that, that was always my assumption as well, that the young brain absorbs knowledge Quickly. But I think I think this was a new scientist study, and they found that if you put adults in the same environment as kids, generally speaking, they do actually learn as fast. The thing is that we are not sitting in a school classroom for eight hours a day while a teacher drones at us in, in German, and there's no way we would willingly put ourselves through that. So I think that that's the bigger barrier. The bigger barrier is sort of motivation, time, um, yes, and the inclination. So it's still it's still top of my list of things. To do and top of my list of things that I'm really quite embarrassed that I haven't done after four years here. Yeah, but of course you've you've become totally integrated into Berlin uh, now, and of course you have friends, and uh, and that's a key element as well, making friendships and uh, seeing people on a regular basis. I suppose uh, should up and right group, uh, you know, the meetup helped a bit in that area. I guess I I would say it helped a lot. Um, I probably made about 70% of my friendships in Berlin through that, I think. Um, you know, when you see someone regularly once or twice a week, um, we only have obviously the, the, the 15 minute break or so to start chatting, but then um, actually in a, in a way the, the lockdown in Berlin helped because those people who I knew as acquaintances, um, I suggested, well, let's go out for a walk and, and just one-to-one, -one. we're still legally allowed to do that. 
and talk. And um, so some of those acquaintances became friends. Some of the ones that were already friends became closer friends. Um, but yeah, the, the, the writing group has been a big, um, a big social benefit to me. I found that also, Alex, as well. I, I, it was great for me uh, to come here for a couple of months and just mm. to land in Berlin and immediately have a collection of friends who I had known in previous years and who had Ooh, a common yeah. interest. So cer cer certainly very useful and, and I was very grateful for it. So um, Alex, just moving on to something else a little bit yeah. on the side. I know you had in the past, and maybe you could talk about this for a, while, a little bit, is you had a collection of old technology. And I know you like that. So maybe give, give me a little bit of background to that. Okay. Um... I mean, I, I've been working in computers uh, pretty much all of my working life. So I, I, I think I was very lucky that I grew up at a time when home computing was starting to become a thing. So my, my first computer was a ZX80, Sinclair ZX80 in 1980, 1980 or 81. Um, and I, I absolutely loved playing with computers. And then I got a job writing about computers, which was pretty much perfect for me. The combination of what are probably my, my two main skills, writing and, and messing around with technology. Um, so I went through um, the sort of the, the fast change um, time phase of, of computing, maybe the, let's say the, the, the 80s through to the, the, the late 90s, I suppose, when things were changing dramatically uh, and, and computers really were changing, changing the world. And that, I think had a big, big impression on me at the time. And then I kind of lost interest to an extent and it, it became my day job and computers, although they, they improve year on year, obviously, I, I would say they're, they're not um, massive uh, changes in the, uh, they're sort of revolutionary changes, I suppose is what I'm saying. Um, and when we were in New Zealand, I had a bit of spare time. And I suppose initially from the point of view of nostalgia, I thought oh, it'd be quite nice to play with one of those old, I don't know, 286 or 386 or something. Um, and there was one for sale on Trade Me, which is a New Zealand equivalent of eBay. And I bought it and just started tinkering around. And I thought, oh, this is kind of fun. Oh, it's a... I think what I got out of it, first of all, was problem solving, because nearly everything I, I bought was broken at the time. So it required um, tracking down what was wrong with it, repairing it, usually some electronics, soldering work to replace components, and then getting the software installed and getting it optimized and putting um, putting software on it that would have been appropriate for the time it came out. So 1980s software on a 1980s machine, 90s software on a 90s machine and so on. Wow, actually even hunting down that stuff must have been difficult to find. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's actually got even harder. I think some of the sites that I was using at the time, and we're talking, I think 2014 to 20, well, I've only, I've still got a couple of them left. Um, but even some of those sites have since gone offline. So the, the, they were sort of the last repositories of some of the, the software from the 80s. And, uh, Such a pity, really. Actually, so in some ways, a kind of like a steampunk type of... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I had, I had too many of them in the end. I, I, it became probably a, 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 almost a, a compulsion, almost a hoarding instinct. Um, but uh, at one point, I was interviewed by um, a local radio station which a friend was um, was doing uh, work on. We did a 15-minute session about the various devices. And, um, and what I found useful about them is that um, if I ever got writer's block, I'd just move to another machine. So if, if, I, if, 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 the, um, if the 486 running, I know, 
uh, word for Windows 3.1 wasn't um, wasn't stimulating me enough, I'd, I'd move to the 8088 running um, WordPerfect 4.2 or something like that. <laughs> the change of environment was enough to trigger something else in my mind, so I could I could write something different. The first time I met you, and nearly every time you were at the shut up and write meetings, you had a different device that you were actually typing on. Typically, something that had no screen, it just had mm -hmm. a single LCD line uh, yep. of characters. Yeah, I, I still have those actually. The, the Alpha Smart Neo and the Alpha Smart Dana. Done. I see it's American, so I assume it's a Dana. I still use those. Those those are kind of to me. They're not really even vintage because they're only about twenty years old. <laughs> but the, I, I would I would never bring in the, the the one that I would really like to to use because it's too noisy. But it's a, a nineteen eighty three Panasonic um, senior partner. It's called, and it's just a basically a big gray box about this big with a, a, a nine inch green screen built into it and a, a fold down keyboard. Um, and they like used to the be old sold. compact, like the old compact. Yeah, exactly like the, the compact ones. And they were sold for, for the same market as for traveling salespeople. Um, and these things weighed 17 kilos. So you know, these salesmen with broken shoulders lugging, <laughs> lugging them to conferences and so on. But, um, but I love it. My, my kids play computer games on it still. And we were actually playing on it last night. It's, it's nice to have this old retro green screen where you're playing space yeah. and face on it. Um, There's something about that green phosphorus in the dark and green yes, backseat. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, it's very evocative. I actually, for writing, I prefer the, the old amber screens. The amber seem to be a, a more solid color. And there are, there are weird, nerdy technical reasons why I know that to be true, and I, but I'm not going to go into those. But, um, <laughs> phosphor decay rates and, and things, yes. Anyway, but, but yeah, it, it, it's a hobby that I would say I've, um, I've pretty much reached the end of. So it was probably sort of five to six years. Um, and I've kept one or two of the machines because I, I, they're mostly the ones that I put the most work into, I suppose. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting thing to do for a while. And um, something else, and it's a completely different tack now than what we've been okay. talking about, and that is, you when you were in college, you st I believe you studied astrophysics and psychology. So, um, was that correct? Yeah, separately. So, but but yes, I, I, my first degree was um, physics with astrophysics, um, and that was as a, you know, a, whatever, eighteen to twenty-one year old, I suppose. Um, I actually went into that because I wanted to. I was interested in astronomy, but it was quite difficult to find a degree course in astronomy. But I thought, oh, <laughs> in my young stupidity, I thought oh, astronomy, astrophysics—they're probably similar. Um, <laughs> they're really not. They're really, really not. Um, there is some crossover, but uh, astrophysics is, as it, the name implies, the physics of what is going on in the universe. Um, so it was very hard work with a lot of maths, which I was never hugely good at, um, and I did. I did scrape through, uh, I got a third class degree, so I'm not hugely proud of that, but considering um, my attendance record, I think it's pretty much what I deserved. Um, but uh, I'd always been interested in psychology as well, and I think probably five or six years after I, um, I graduated, um, I looked into doing a second, um, not a master's degree, just a second undergraduate degree uh, with the Open University in the UK. And I did that in psychology and that took me, I think it was four years part-time. And that was fascinating. That was that was incredibly well taught, brilliant materials, um, uh, very, very good tutors. Um, and uh, I found, weirdly, I found both of the um, degrees useful. I mean, arguably the biggest use of the astrophysics degree is saying to people that I have an astrophysics degree because they immediately <laughs> assume that I must be more intelligent than I actually am. But that's nice. Um, but the physics behind the astrophysics, the actual physics component of it is incredibly useful for just understanding the everyday world. 
you know, I, I can fix things, I can repair mechanical gadgets, I understand the fundamental processes of, of how matter interacts, um, which is helpful. You know, there, there are many sort of mysteries in the everyday world. Everyday world. But the psychology, um, to some extent, helps me understand how people work. Yeah, and it's probably very relevant now, particularly with your kids being teenagers. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I suspect that although I started the psychology degree before I thought that I would like to have children. Um, I think probably in the back of my mind was the idea that if I'm going to be a good father, it would be helpful to understand at least something about child development. And, and one year of the course was child development, so that has been useful. Um, but what I was going to say is that um, although psychology should help you understand how people think, uh, I looked at the other people on my course, I looked at myself and I thought, a lot of us are here because we're a bit messed up and we want to know more about ourselves. Um, so. Uh, I'm not sure how useful it actually is in interacting with other people, but um, I think it has been useful in, in, in sort of getting getting myself out of situations that would otherwise have been um, difficult to handle. And I think it's been useful, I hope it's been help, useful in helping me to, to parent my children um, in a way that's uh, constructive and takes into account how their minds are developing, um, which is, as you know yourself, it changes so fast. <laughs> so, yes. you know, a, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, three-year-old, all different. Yeah, before, and before you know it, they're adults or nearly adults, but it doesn't mm, stop yeah. there. Actually, they probably continue. Oh, stop! No, no, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming at 18, it's like, yeah, they cut the apron ties, they've gone by, and they come back at Christmas and birthdays, and that's it. That must be right. Yeah, that is right, Frank. <laughs> actually, that brings me on to another another area, which is uh, probably the last area we're going to look at uh, or discuss. Actually, Alex, and mm. that is. What about the future? What do, what, do you, what do you see happening in the near future now for yourself? Well, um, this is probably about the, the time when I would start to get about twitchy about having been living in the same place for so long, sort of five years or so. Um, I, I obviously can't throw my toys out of the pram and leave. You know, I, I have two kids. Um, the, the youngest is 12, just turned 12. So realistically, I, I'm here until she's 18. Um, whatever happens. Um, now, I, in terms of actually what I'm going to do career-wise, um, obviously I've been, as I said, I've been writing for, well, it must be 20, 26 years now, I guess, 27 years. 94, I started writing about technology. Um, although I, uh, excuse me, although I have done other side projects during that time, the main bread and butter for me has been writing about technology or writing about um, business issues or finance or things like that. So basically being paid to write. Um, I don't really want to do that. Um, actually, really, I don't really want to do that, full stop. Uh, I feel that this, this length of time is enough to have been doing one particular um, time of work. Now, the, the slight issue with that is I don't know what I, want, what I do actually want to do. Um, I mean, I, I, at the age of 50, I still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, <laughs> somewhat worrying, um, but it, the, you know, I don't have too much pressure on me to make that decision yet, and I can still do little bits of writing work to keep myself um, going. But I suspect what will happen is at some point, either while I'm you know, lying in the bath or just drifting off to sleep or sitting on a bus staring out of a window, I'll get an idea. And I mean, I get a lot of ideas, but most of them I think not really going to work. But at some point, there'll be one where I think, ah, that one actually has potential. I'll give it a go, and. Without any, without any planning, of course, um, and with a, a kind of um, a confidence born of ignorance, I shall plough on and, and see what happens. And hopefully 
do something that um, that's successful and interesting and challenging. Um, I keep not jotting down ideas, but I haven't got anything yet. Actually, I'm sure, Alex, whatever it'll be, it'll be very interesting and also <laughs> worthy of future discussion at some stage. I would so, enjoy that. I hope so. Yeah. So, Alex, uh, that's, this has been a super conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And thanks Me very too. much. Thank you. And thanks very much for being on my podcast. Thank you. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. We could have been sardis, same world, but without us. Something made us, made us find each other out there. Made us realize we're more.